Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Because of the Holy Spirit, God is more present to us. The power of the risen Christ is more available to us. And when the Spirit is present, we are not in control. And that can be terrifying. If ascension is, as we talked about last week, the critical moment in Jesus' story that we most misunderstand or most ignore, then perhaps Pentecost is that critical moment in the story that we'd much rather ignore. It's just so strange. And we've been around long enough to know that some Christians seem to do some strange stuff with this Pentecost day. And so better perhaps to just stick it on the shelf and let it be. But that won't do. Jesus said it was necessary for him to ascend to heaven and it was necessary for the spirit to come. So Jesus ascended to heaven and as we talked about last week and have talked about so often, we got to rearrange our brains here because for Jesus to go to heaven was not for Jesus to depart to some far, far distant way, totally outside of our world. Heaven is not a place way out there, but it is God's perfected realm from which God rules over the world as God does the ongoing work of bringing heaven to earth. So language absolutely fails us. Perhaps it's better to think of heaven as another dimension. Perhaps in the way we actually view the world, which is very different from the way the first century reader of scripture would have, would have read these texts, perhaps it's better for us to think of beyond rather than up. It's the realm of heaven that intersects and overlaps but is over the realm of earth. And so the ascension doesn't mean when God and Jesus went to heaven, it doesn't mean that God is far and we're just to make out the best we can, just the opposite. The ascension means all kinds of things. It means that God now rules in a new kind of way in Jesus all over the world at the same time. It means that Jesus is now present to us in a new pervasive kind of way all over the world at every moment in history with every person. And it means perhaps, and this is the one that I think that we probably don't think about at all hardly, it means that Jesus has taken his true humanity and joined it to God the Father. In the gospel reading today in John 20, we're told that when Jesus appeared to his disciples that he said peace to them, he breathed the spirit onto them, but he did something else with his body. He showed them his hands and his side. After the resurrection, it was still a wounded Jesus that rose. And the scripture tells us it is this same Jesus that ascended to the Father. The Jesus who knows rejection and hunger and thirst and longing and deep disappointment and tears. This Jesus who is now one with us, 
This Jesus who has gathered us into his own life, this same Jesus is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. God is now forever in Jesus, wedded to humanity, and humanity is now forever in Jesus, wedded to God. Kenneth Tanner said, the ascension means that a human, Jesus of Nazareth, is part of what it means for God to be God. For God to hate humanity or any human, God would have to hate himself. But before the ascension, God had told the disciples in Jesus that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And when the Holy Spirit came, that a new kind of power was going to be offered into the world. A new potency, a new presence. And so they went and they prayed and they waited. And Luke tells us that on the day of Pentecost, a sound like a tempest came. And did you hear where it came from? It came from heaven. And this is a minor detail, but they were actually in a room. This, this wind wasn't coming charging out of a distant galaxy. It was something that was happening in the very environment around them. All of a sudden, a wind came from heaven, the realm of God intersecting with their own realm. Jesus had ascended to heaven, and now Jesus' power was rushing back from heaven. This was the next salvo in God's intentions for heaven to come to earth. So for Jews, Pentecost was a festival 50 days after Passover. So in Passover, the Jews remembered that God had rescued them from Egypt, that God had kept them alive. But at Pentecost, that was 50 days after Passover, they remembered the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. They remembered something different than that God had kept them alive. They remembered that Moses came down the mountain and offered them a new way of living, a new possibility, awakened to a new way to be human. So at Mount Sinai, Moses went up to the mountain. He ascended. But then Moses came down and brought with him the tablets of stone, brought with him the message of God. This sound of rushing wind came from heaven. It was Jesus doing what he said he would do. Jesus was not ultimately leaving us, but making it possible for Jesus' resurrected presence to now be present with us in a new and even more explosive and disruptive way. The Holy Spirit is how God is bringing heaven to earth. Pentecost is where ascension explodes. And the crowds gathered and the wildness continued as thousands of pilgrims who traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost began to hear all of a sudden in this remarkable way the apostles proclaiming the message of Jesus in their own language. Languages the apostles didn't know. And the Spirit reached across every boundary, cultural, political, social, this is what the Spirit looks like. And the span of geography is amazing. 
Put in modern categories, these pilgrims arrive from Iran, across the Middle East, Palestine, Israel, Syria, Turkey, North Africa, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Mediterranean islands, Crete, Arabia. And the gospel exploded. The possibility of heaven coming to earth exploded. I believe we, as the church of God, as all souls, are desperate for the Spirit to give us a new kind of language again. In our moment, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of new words that make the translation intelligible, but rather a new holy presence that makes Jesus intelligible. That people would encounter our love and our conviction and our sacrifice and our self-giving and our joy and say, oh, I understand. Jesus is alive. There's hope. Resurrection. I think I get it. It's remarkable if you look at church history, how the explosiveness of the church from being this little rabble group into a movement that moved into the, every nook and cranny of the world, how it exploded out of places of self-giving, a kind of action that could only, be, could only find evidence in the person of Jesus erupting some kind of new life. It was the Christians who stayed in Rome, in the major cities, whenever disease was descending, and most of the people who had the resources fled to the hillsides, and the Christians, a majority of them, felt convicted to stay. It's the blood of the martyrs. It's those who felt so deep in their bones the conviction to the person of the resurrected Jesus that they would give their very life. And when the Holy Spirit arrived on Pentecost, the nations understood they saw Jesus, and they weren't coerced. They were wooed. They were overwhelmed. And they think for a moment, it's interesting how they think we understand, and then they didn't understand. How did this happen? Some people sneered. Are, are they drunk? Are they plastered? Peter says, no, it's only nine for a pious Jew, you wouldn't eat until after nine. That was the first, it was an hour of prayer, the third hour of prayer. No, Peter says, what you've experienced here is the miraculous move of Almighty God. This is only possible because God is doing it. I think within our nation, within our world, certainly within our community, within all souls, I, I think I'll speak for myself. I, I'm hungry for a movement of God that is only possible because God acted. The kinds of things that feel like they're absolutely insane to hope and pray for, the kind of healing, the kind of awakening, the kind of movement into the world, the kind of sacrificial love, that can't be explained merely by socio-factors, but something that absolutely requires the movement of God. Barbara Brown Taylor, is a, she preached a way better Pentecost sermon than me, so I'm going to read you a little section of hers. Okay. 
So Pentecost came, and before the day was over, the church had grown from 120 to more than 3,000. Shy people had become bold. Scared people had become gutsy. Lost people had found a sure sense of direction. Disciples who had not believed themselves capable of trying, tying their own sandals without Jesus discovered abilities within themselves they never knew they had. When they opened their mouths to speak, they sounded like Jesus. And when they laid their hands upon the sick, it was as if Jesus himself had touched them. In short order, they were doing things they had never seen anyone but Jesus do. And there was no explanation for it except that they had dared to inhale on the day of Pentecost. They had sucked in God's own breath and they had been transformed by it. The Holy Spirit had entered into them in the same way it had entered into Mary, the mother of Jesus, and for the same reason, it was time for God to be born again. Not in one body this time, but in a body of believers who had received the breath of life from their Lord and pass it on, using their own bodies to distribute the gift. So the question is whether we still believe in a God who acts like that. Do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and sets our heads on fire? Do we still believe in a God with power to transform us both as individuals and a people? Or have we come to an unspoken agreement that our God is pretty old and tired by now, someone to whom we may address our prayer request, but not anyone we really expect to change our lives? There is some very fine teaching available on the Holy Spirit, and I hope none of you is satisfied with it. I hope none of you rest until you have felt the Holy Spirit blow through your own life, rearranging things, opening things up, and maybe even setting your own head on fire. There is nothing you can do to make it happen, as far as I know, except to pray, come Holy Spirit, every chance you get. If you don't want anything to change in your life, then for heaven's sake, don't pray that. But if you're the type of person who likes to stand out on the porch when there's a storm moving through so you can feel the power that is pushing the trees around, then you are probably a good candidate for the Holy Spirit prayer. When the Holy Spirit brings Jesus to us, we are no longer in control. Things happen that surprise us. Things unseat our expectations. Things happen that melt our hearts and undo our lethargy, undo our assumptions, undo our loyalties. We are given gifts. We're called to action. It doesn't mean that things always go wild. The Spirit often works quietly under the radar. The Spirit actually makes us more human, not less. The fruits of the Spirit are wonderfully beautiful human things. It's redeemed humanity. But always, when the Spirit is active, we are not calling the shots. God is. I have a sense that God wants to disrupt us. I have a sense that God wants to disrupt all souls. And I wonder if we would be okay with that. I wonder if we would be willing to lose control. 
Would we be willing to follow God's invitation if it means we would be misunderstood or that something would be required of us? I wonder if we are willing to let the Holy Spirit disrupt us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.